0: Go ahead and grab a seat. My name's Alistair. I'm the lead pastor here at St. Pete's. Uh, this is actually my last sermon uh, as your lead pastor, and next week is my sending service, and it would be great to see you there. And I didn't put this in the sermon, but I just want to see if anyone else has had this experience. I was at the Canucks last night, because I like watching teams lose horribly. I can't tell right now if my throat is scratchy because I'm getting a cold or because I ate too much popcorn. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Anybody know? Is that just way too unique? I don't know. It's October 6, 2013. Now if you know me, that's an important day because it's two days from my birthday. More importantly, uh, it's the day of my ordination to become a deacon. And I woke up with excitement reminiscent of my wedding day. Years of following this foggy inclination that God is calling me to be a minister had led to this moment of sunrise-like clarity. You know, I'm meant to do this. And as evening drew near, my anticipation grew. And I know it's a little strange, but I really couldn't wait to put on the clerical collar for the first time. Like, I couldn't wait to see that white little square snug on my neck. I just couldn't wait to do it. And I put it on and it was good. (laughs) Well, it was good until we got to the elevator. Never underestimate how much tension can build between pushing the elevator button and waiting for the elevator to arrive. You know, my joy and my anticipation and my excitement for the ordination, it evaporated. And Julia and I descended into this heated and senseless argument about nothing in particular. It's one of those arguments that you remember for the rest of your life, but for the life of you, you can't remember what it was about. Have you ever been there? Now, I started the argument. I'm going to take ownership of that. Julia is innocent in all things, but here's this argument, and we're in the elevator, and I'm just like, I'm going to be right this time. It doesn't matter if I'm wrong. I'm going to be right this time, and one long 21-floor elevator ride, we're on the ground, silence. Here I was. I'm finally wearing the clerical collar in public for the first time, but I'm furious with Julia, and I've just been harsh with her, and now, like a mature husband, I'm giving her the silent treatment. I'm walking at a brisk pace, pushing Ansley in the stroller with fervor, as Julia puts it. And then finally, my mood broke. You know how it is? Like you kind of get in like that anger fight mood and it just takes over you and then it breaks and you have a moment of clarity of like, I am the worst person in the world. Have you ever been there? Yes. And I said on the dramatic side, I don't want to be ordained now. My big day is ruined. <laughs> and then I said what was really on my heart. I dialed down the drama and I said, God needs better than this. Like I feel so unworthy. And Julia, she looked at me with her big watery blue eyes and with her signature prophetic style, said to me, when has this ever been about you being worthy? And that's grace in a nutshell. My goodness, am I quick to forget it. I have never been worthy of the calling of Christ. I've never been worthy of grace. Lesson learned yet again. And it's a lesson you never stop learning as someone who follows Jesus. You have to learn it again and again and again. And so in this series that we've been calling Lessons Along the Way, I've, I've been sharing lessons that I've learned as your lead pastor over the past 10 years. And the first lesson was about goodness, learning to show up and pay attention to discover the goodness of God with us. And the second lesson was about people, learning to see the mystery of God dwelling in jars of clay. And this last lesson, my last sermon as your lead pastor, it's about Jesus, because what else would it be about? And so on the way to our ordination service, Julia and I repaired. I was reminded I'm not worthy of the gospel of grace, neither am I worthy to gather the crumbs up from underneath the Lord's table, as the liturgy reminds us. And we make it to the ordination service, on time, grace upon grace, not another fight, I jest. And at the ordination service, David Short preached a sermon on Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It bears repeating. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you don't know David Short, with his Australian flair, he opened his sermon by saying, What we're doing here is strange. These young people are putting themselves forward for ministry. They're putting their families and their future, even their finances, on the line. They're giving up the West Coast dream of making a bucket of money and living a life of personal fulfillment and the pursuit of self-actualization. And then he continued. If it weren't for this verse from Hebrews... This would be a completely futile exercise. If Jesus had not come and died and was risen and brought us to God, we are wasting our time. If Jesus Christ is not the same yesterday, today, and forever, if this is not true, well, and then David paused for dramatic effect. We should all go home and tell these people to get real jobs. (laughs) Then David drove one point home. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today, and forever. We have nothing to offer people but Jesus Christ. I have nothing to offer you but Jesus Christ. And I've learned this lesson time and time again as your pastor. And so this morning, I want to reflect on this lesson. And I have three things I want to look at. Grace, shepherds, and Jesus. Grace, shepherds, and Jesus. So, thing one, grace. I have never been worthy of grace. Spoiler alert, neither have you. And I've never been worthy of the grace and the invitation to be your pastor, and yet I habitually forget this lesson. You know, like the Apostle Peter, I can sometimes trust in myself more than the call of Jesus. And this happens more often than I admit. I fall into this mindset that maybe I am worthy. Because I look at my abilities and my best qualities, I think, yep. You picked a good one here, God. You're welcome. <laughs> Look at how gifted I am. Look at how creative I am. And then I forget all of these things are grace. I had little to nothing to do with how God made me and how he's equipped me and the things he's given to me. And so often, though, I think I got this, but it always precedes me saying I don't got this. Now, I don't think I'm entirely to blame for this struggle in mindset. If you read the ordination liturgy, if you've ever been to an ordination service, the description of the person getting ordained, well, it makes them sound pretty great. You know, you're reminded at the very beginning of the service that the ordinance have been examined and found qualified by many people. They went through a discernment committee within their local church. They went through a discernment committee with priests from the diocese. They had countless recommendations. And then the bishops weighed all of these things and found this person worthy to be put forward. For ordination, they've got this. But then the ordinands commit themselves to share in the humility of Christ. That's the weirdest part of the ordination to me. How can you say you're going to share in the humility of Christ with confidence? But you do, because you've got this. And so they also commit to patiently teach and instruct the people of God to sacrificially love and serve People to visit the sick and help the church understand the needs and concerns and hopes of the world. They commit to encourage the church to search for the stranger, embrace the poor and helpless, and seek them out that they may be relieved. I mean, this sounds like a pretty remarkable person, don't you think? And if they've also visited third heaven with Paul, golden! It's a deep dive Bible joke, don't worry. Yes, people who are getting ordained, they're taking the task before them seriously. They do exhibit good character, and they appear to be qualified and gifted for the work. I mean, look at Roger. Look at Preston. Look at Lloyd. Look at Richard. Look at Rob. And please, no, like we're waiting for any of you wonderful women to to step up and get ordained. You're invited. I'll just pick someone out of the crowd. Uh, Not going to do that. Come on. Casey Gay as a guest. Go get ordained. But with all this high praise, with all this high praise, we shouldn't be mistaken. There is not a pastor or person in the world on this planet who has ever been worthy of serving the gospel. As the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. No disputing this. Trust it with everything you have. Write it on your heart. Don't forget it. This is a trustworthy saying. If you want to understand what it means to follow Jesus, don't forget this, is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Our unworthiness for grace, it's not an excuse to sin. By no means. Just go read Romans 6. But no matter how much we may grow, no matter how good we may become, no matter how sparkling our character may be, we do not suddenly become worthy of the grace we've received and the grace that changes our lives. Because it's grace at work in us, lifting us up, cleaning us up, sustaining us and healing us. And grace always remains a gift that comes to us at our very worst. So none of us, not a single one of us, deserves the radical Welcome of grace that Jesus offers. And this never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now at that ordination service in October in 2013, I found my heart in the posture it needed to be to appreciate what was really going on, because in my heart of hearts I knew I wasn't worthy of grace. And all throughout the service, you know, the liturgy, the prayers the congregation, the sermon, the sacrament. I was being covered and saturated by grace. The grace that saved me years ago is the grace that sustained me, is the grace that called me to this work, is the grace that will keep smoothing out my rough edges. It's grace upon grace. And I was aware of my unworthiness, but I was committed convinced all the more that grace and grace alone had carried me this far and that grace would sustain my ministry moving forward. Not my gifting alone, not my creativity alone, not my good character alone, not my work ethic alone. These matter and they've been helpful, but they're limited without the power of grace. A common picture of grace is the prodigal son dragging himself home after really messing things up. And as the son arrives at the edge of the home, the father, who represents God, runs out to him. Now, elders in the ancient world didn't run. It was considered shameful. But the father will endure shame just as Christ endured the shame of the cross to run out and embrace his wayward child. And the son begins this pre-rehearsed speech but is interrupted because nothing needs to be said. Nothing can be said to deserve this welcome home The speech is interrupted before he can get the words out because the father embraces his prodigal son and clothes him and restores him and walks him home and celebrates him. Well, really, actually what's happening is the father embraces us and clothes us and restores us and welcomes us. He meets us on the outskirts of his home and he runs out to us and he walks us back to his home, to life with him, and he celebrates with us in pure joy. The father's words in this parable are, let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. There is joy in heaven over the welcome of sinners' home. That is the mystery of grace. This parable, this lovely, beautiful like parable, Jesus uses us to show Grace. A love that never runs out, but is waiting and eager to run toward us. But we don't receive this abundant grace and just move on. You know, this generous love of God, this grace, it doesn't just save us. As I've been saying, it sustains us, it empowers us. You know, Grace is imparted to us, and it dwells in us, and it strengthens us to receive the life God has for us. The ordination liturgy says to the ordinance. We have good hope that you have well-weighed and pondered these things with yourselves long before this time. And that you have clearly determined, by God's grace, to give yourselves wholly to this office. In other words, the work is too much for your own strength, your own effort. It's impossible apart from grace. It's only possible by God's grace. And this is not just true of pastors and ministers. This is true of all Christians, all followers of Christ. Grace is not the first chapter. It's the beginning, the middle, the end. And so when I was ordained as a deacon, God reinstilled in me this important lesson. What's more exciting than getting ordained? What's more exciting than finally getting to wear the little white collar? Jesus Christ. The Christian faith It's not about pomp and show. It's about Jesus. It's about messy and broken and arrogant and confused and disheartened people getting swept up in his grace. It's about impressive and strong and capable, independent, self-assured people getting swept up in his grace. The Anglican priest and author Robert Capon wrote, It is Jesus who is your life. If he refused to condemn you because your works were rotten... He certainly isn't going to flunk you because your faith isn't so hot. You can fail utterly and still live the life of grace. You can fold up spiritually, morally, or intellectually and still be safe. Because at the ver- very worst, all you can be is dead. And for him who is the resurrection and the life, that just makes you his cup of tea. I love that. You are God's cup of tea. This is the lesson of grace. Grace. I've tried my best here at St. Pete's to create a culture of grace because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His grace is the same. It never runs out yesterday, today, and forever. And I want you to know, I want you to really know, I want you to write it on your heart that Jesus is not going anywhere. You can't outrun him. You can't hide from him. You can't descend so low to be beyond him. You can't rise so high as to surpass him. Jesus envelops our entire existence with his grace, yesterday, today, forever. So that's point one, grace. Let's move to the second thing, shepherds. Pastors are often called shepherds. You've heard this, yes? Yes, shepherds. It's a funny metaphor if you think about it, especially for urbanites in downtown Vancouver. So unless you grew up somewhere rural, it's kind of like this idyllic metaphor, right? The task of of, of shepherding is taking care of sheep. And any shepherd will tell you one characteristic about sheep is that they're dumb. So this doesn't exactly complement the congregation now, does it? But don't worry, the pastors get insulted too. In the ancient world, shepherds were hated and despised and the lowest of the low in social reputation. So the pastor gets insulted too. So this is the metaphor. A despised and insignificant and dejected person takes care of dumb people. This is the biblical metaphor of pastoring. Now, to take on the work of a shepherd as a pastor means you're you're actually committing to not ascend, but descend. That is to follow in the humility of Christ in his own ministry. Jesus, although he was God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be exploited, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Although Jesus Christ was rich, he became poor. He did not come to serve or be served, but to serve. And so the work of a pastor is not becoming Jesus Christ for you. Good luck. The work of a pastor is constantly to bring the sheep to the one who is the good shepherd, to direct them to the one who actually can serve and care for their souls. A few months after I was ordained as a deacon, I was ordained as a priest. Grace upon grace. And the sermon at this ordination service was preached by Simon Neal, who used to be the, the pastor of Emmanuel Church. And his text was John 10, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he hooked us with this great story. Emmanuel was known for how they did life with and among the marginalized, and Simon told this story about running into a more downtrodden member of their church while he was on his way somewhere. And the person walked with a limp, so Simon had to slow down. And the person had a habit of talking a lot and dominating the conversation, so Simon had to mostly listen. And the person poured out his heart to Simon about how thankful he was for a pastor who didn't treat him differently because he was different, who did life with him and among him, And how much his teaching made a difference. And I sat there getting ready to be ordained. And I was moved. I loved how Simon modeled grace. This kindness and patience. I loved how he modeled a willingness to have his life interrupted. To show a priority of the person over task. And then Simon said, do you want to know what I was thinking during this encounter? I wish I could walk faster and get away from this person. So I could get my to-do list done. And then he made his point. There's only one good shepherd. The rest of us are okay shepherds. That really knocks the wind out of your sails as an ordinand. And some of us can be pretty rotten shepherds. And thankfully, we're all underlings. We're serving the good shepherd. And while we may be imperfect and broken and fail at times, Jesus remains the good shepherd. Always. At the end of the day, there is only one good shepherd who's actually capable of leaving the 99 to pursue the one. Jesus says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not go leave the 99 on the hills and look for the one that wandered off? Just in case you're wondering, the answer of a shepherd back then would be, no! Let the dumb sheep perish. Stay with the 99. That's your income. That's your wealth. That's your stability. Jesus says, in God's economy, no, He goes and looks after it. And if he finds it truly, I tell you, He's happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So the rest of us, OK shepherds, like we can pursue the one sheep most of the time. But then the 99 start to grumble, "Why aren't you taking care of me?" It's really hard. You're not ready to laugh about it. I am. But there's only one good shepherd who can pursue everyone who wanders off. There's only one good shepherd whose father is not willing that anyone should perish. There is only one good shepherd who can truly take care of every single sheep. There's only one good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God has given me the grace to serve as your okay shepherd. You know, when you're a parent, it's crushing to ask, am I a good mother? Well, I probably shouldn't ask that. (laughs) Am I a good father? No, probably not. But am I a good enough mother? Am I a good enough father? Yeah, I think so. And I hope that you can see glimmers of grace of God working in my life to see that I may have accomplished good enough here. Good enough. And I believe by God's grace, I've I've, I've done my best to faithfully, albeit imperfectly, shepherd our community. To point you to Jesus Christ. But I also know I'm not the good shepherd. I think we can all say, thanks be to God. And so as we head into this future as a church without her founding pastor, I want to remind you there is only one good shepherd. And you won't find him or her as your next lead pastor because Jesus Christ is already yours. He's the head of his body. He loves his bride. He will continue and faithfully and unswervingly tend to his sheep. He'll apply his grace to our wounds. He will shepherd us. And my hope is that when you think of me, if you remember me, you'll remember me as someone who pointed you more and more toward Jesus Christ and less and less toward Alistair Stern. And so that's point two, shepherds. Now my last point as your lead pastor, Jesus. Thank you, Paul. Paul just did a... (laughs) Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are never worthy of grace. This is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The father of Jesus Christ runs out to embrace and welcome and celebrate his wayward children. This is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Grace throws a Feasts and celebrates over the repentant coming back to life and the lost being found. This is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Broken, messy sinners are Christ's cup of tea. This is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. This is the same yesterday and for today and forever. No matter what mess his sheep get into, no matter how guilty or shameful they may feel, no matter what they may have done, Jesus Christ forgives. He puts our sins away as far as the east is from the west because as high as the heavens are from the earth, that's how great God's love is for us so that God remembers our sins no more. Guess what? This is the same yesterday, today, forever. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who pursues His sheep. He is the one who loves you with an unswerving love. He loves you at your worst. He loves you at the places that you think you could never be loved. He will not stop loving you. He will chase after you. He will walk with you, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus Christ will not let you go until he welcomes you safely onto eternity's shores and lifts you up into resurrection life, clothes you and gives you a crown, Gives you new life. Wipes away your tears and says, are you ready to finally live? This is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Forget Alistair Stern. Forget St. Peter's fireside. Forget all of your pursuits. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, St. Peter's, you have everything you need. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.